And welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers Podcast. A few days ago, the NBA announced the tip-off games and Christmas Day games. And of course, the Pacers were not included on that list. No real surprise there. But one thing that did catch local fans by surprise is that Nate Taylor is moving on. You know him as the beat reporter for the Indianapolis Star. He's been on the Pacers beat for two years, this last year, as the primary reporter. But his wife, Holly, has gotten a great job. She will be a senior designer at Barkley, which is one of the largest independent advertising agencies in the United States. And of course, baby Hayden will go along with them. We're recording this on Nate's final day as an employee at the Indianapolis Star. We'll treat it like his exit interview. Nate, we hardly knew you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, maybe you know, I, I understand if people if people have that sentiment. But no, it was it was it was a great two years. I did not, you know, when someone would have asked me after the season ended in that you know series with the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, you automatically jump into like, okay, what's we'll the off season, and then. What could year three possibly look like? You know, me covering the team, but uh, but you know, life happens fast and things change quickly. And so, um, yes, like you mentioned, my wife uh, got this you know amazing one of her dream jobs uh, for her career. And so that's awesome. Uh, as much as she, yeah, as much as she moved here with with me uh, to take this opportunity to, to cover the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star, um, we are going to move to my hometown of Kansas City to be with you know family for her job. And uh, obviously, you mentioned my son Hayden, who's two now. Um, it'll be great for everyone involved um, as far as raising him and him getting to know his relatives um, at a very deeper level than obviously them coming in and out um, as best they could over the last two years to uh, to come from Indy to Kansas City. And that's the key point: going back home. In addition, to obviously, a great job, but to go back home. Look, I, I get that. I'm still here in my hometown, so that's got to be special for you. Yeah, it is, and. Uh, the more people have learned of it, the more excited they've gotten, which is, you know, <laughs> great to know. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's going to be fun just because of the amount of opportunities, the fact that we know the city, we know the town, I will get to eat. You know, a lot of people have tweeted at me on, on, on Twitter, <laughs> you know, just the, the amount of barbecue that I'll get to consume um, will, will increase exponentially. Um, but you know, I, I've said that I'll still watch the team from afar next season. Like I'll still, um, you know, be able to watch the NBA from where you know wherever we live in Kansas City. And you know, it's a uh, it's just a it's just a great opportunity, just again for my wife and the ability to know that um, we're surrounded by the people who love us, the people I grew up with my entire life, and obviously having my parents get to know my son a lot more is uh, is really. It's really just going to be beneficial for everyone. What's that discussion like in a household? I'm sure you had it a couple of years ago when trying to convince her to come here to Central Indiana, and now the roles have reversed. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. When we so for people who aren't totally um, aware of my backgrounds, we came from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, in 2015, and I was working for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, doing you know basically every sport there, and they have all four major proteins so when it, when a chance came up to you know help candace buckner who we both love um to help her with covering the patients for the indy star the conversation was pretty easy because we were one pregnant at the time <laughs> yeah and it was and it was two it was like well you know it will get us closer to home which was one of the sort of target things that we had in mind once we learned that we were pregnant and we were in florida we have friends down there and i want to make it seem like we don't know anyone in florida 
but we had people in Fort Lauderdale. We had friends, but we had no family whatsoever because they're all all of my families in Kansas City. Most of her family is split between um, Missouri and Iowa, so in the sort of Des Moines area. So once we made that decision, it was pretty easy. This one was a lot difficult, or a lot more difficult, I should say, just because you know. I have this very <laughs> really good job, mm-hmm. you know, traveling with the team both home and away um, in one of the more entertaining sports leagues in, you know, perhaps the world, you know, just not thinking about the U.S. I know the NFL is still king, but the NBA is growing every year over year. They're becoming a more global sport. And so it's, it's a great job. And, and whoever, you know, takes it and replaces me after it, you know, knows that. So, um, but, the fact that our son is going to be two, going on three, only going to get older, and the fact that I traveled a lot with the combination that, you know, God bless Holly, but she took care of my son for the 41 road games that mm-hmm. <laughs> that the team went through last year. And it would not be, you know, I think about this a lot as a, as a father, as a, as a husband. Um, you know, we are of Christian faith, and it would just not be um, wise, smart, or loving of me to sort of, deny my wife this great job opportunity. And look, you know, it's not like we wanted to leave Indianapolis. Barkley's hiring, and, uh, you know, they really made every effort to to convince her to come aboard. And, again, like I said earlier, it's a, it's a sort of a dream job scenario. Um, so it, it was a lot of hard discussions, but once it became clear that this is what my wife wanted, combined with the fact that it's going to be with a lot more family and a lot more friends, and just a ton of people that we know in Kansas City and around us, uh, it was the right choice to make. And everyone, to their credit, and I really am grateful for this, everyone at the Indy Star understands that, how important family is. And, you know, jobs do come and go, and we all understand that. Um, so they've been very, you know, I've, I've just been very grateful for me, and, and they've been gracious to me. Um, so yeah, I loved my two years. I thought it was going to be longer, mm-hmm. but hey, you know, things change. I love it because your situation, I feel like speaks to marriage. Obviously I'm still unmarried, but you make a group decision to move closer to home originally mm-hmm. while having a yep. kid. She sacrifices, it seems like for you. Then you sacrifice a little bit for the family now here all to go back. home. I think that's just cool. And that's what marriage is yeah. all about. Well, thank, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. And you know, for anyone who is married, that. I hope they're sort of nodding as they listen to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know, for for people like you yourself, and and you know, people who you know, may be married someday, or you know, it, it is a different sort of mentality when you, when you're trying to wrestle. And I, I shouldn't say wrestle when you're trying to balance your career, and obviously you want to be successful and you want to do good work, but you know, family becomes just as important, if not more important, the more children you have. And I've talked to people who have you know more than one kid and. And just the decisions that they had to make, um, particularly in sports journalism and things of that nature. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, it's you know, obviously I love my wife, I love my son. He's hilarious. Yeah. But <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be great to, to share these moments more with my siblings, and I have three of them who are older and they have their own children. So he's gonna get to interact with his cousins, and the fact that my parents and her parents are just gonna be around to support us a lot more. Um, you know, in, in the coming future, so it's 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 a great it's a great decision. It the the the, the way I've explained it to a lot of my friends, is it benefits everyone. It's just there's a small part where like I don't cover an NBA basketball team <laughs> and the joy and the joy 
and pleasures and challenges that come from that. I assume the NBA is your favorite league, so you'll still be following along closely. Is that accurate? It's it's by far. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's because you know we cover the M- NBA. You know, I, I've done cult stuff um, for the Indy Star on like a need basis or like if we need an extra person for like when the Patriots come to town. I remember two years ago, like I, I was there for that game. So I, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of football. I see Major League Baseball to a degree, and how long and painstaking that season is. I, I don't. I don't, I don't envy any of those people who cover baseball full-time for 162 games. But, man, between social media, between fan interactions, between just the personalities that the NBA sort of blends itself to because, you know, if they don't wear helmets, they play basketball, <laughs> which is a sport that everyone can relate to. I don't feel like the older I get, and even though I play football in high school, I don't feel like I truly understand football. Like, it's kind of, you know, it, there's so many intricacies and variables with 22 people on the field, you know, going to try to, you know, score a touchdown or get a first down. And I understand the strategy, but it's, it's so, like, when you talk to coaches, they're so far ahead of, like, the level of thinking that, you know, the common person like me is, where I feel like basketball, everyone kind of understands the sport or the strategy or, like, why guys want to play with one another or why – you know, the conundrums with the Pacers and Paul George and, and just sort mm-hmm. of seeing that drama play out over time. Um, so, yeah, I love the NBA. I'm going to be watching it. I'm fascinated to see if the Pacers are going to be the team that most people expect them to be, which is like frisky but don't make the playoffs. They're obviously not going to take. Or can they somehow surprise teams and, you know, be in contention in late March, early April to be like one of the seven or eight seeds uh, in the Eastern Conference, because the Eastern Conference still isn't good, and I don't know like, what to make of <laughs> all the guys leaving the East to go to the West. I do want to talk a ton of Pacers stuff, a little bit more about you. And you're talking, though, about NFL, right? And there, if you're a writer, you may have to cover 53-plus practice squad guys. At most, we have 15 personalities plus a coach right. or two to deal with. And and that's the thing I'm realizing more and more is it's less so about that play or that game. It's about that personality and how they gel together or not, the individuals and what motivates them. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things about basketball that's so fascinating that you mentioned, Scott, is it really does come down to chemistry. Yes, you can be uber-talented, like Jeff T, above-average point guard, like Thaddeus Young, by all measures, an above-average power forward, Paul George, perennial all-star, like Miles Turner, like rising up-and-coming center, and yet for some reason last year, from a chemistry standpoint, they could just never figure it out or they couldn't sustain great success, which is obviously why they were an underachieving team. And that's what makes the Warriors and the Spurs and even those Miami Heat teams with LeBron, you know, Dwayne Wade and Chris Spots, like they're they're so impactful just because you have to interact with these people. You have to live with them mm-hmm. <laughs> for eight months in the year. And yes, there's strategy and there's practice and like trying to self improve, but there's also gotta be the motivation and the willingness to sacrifice and the willingness to be a team when, you know, I know a lot of the stars get the headlines. But to be successful, like, the reason the Warriors are a great basketball team is they will sacrifice something for the betterment of the team, and not every NBA team does that. And how does a coach motivate someone to do that, like Steve Kerr or Nate McMillan or, you know, Greg Popovich? You go down the line. Um, It is a more, you know, it is a more family environment 
where football feels very seg- you know segmented off, where it's offense here, defense here, special teams there. You have your own position meetings, and then you have your own offensive meetings with the coordinators, and then you have the head coach sort of overseeing and you know sort of overlording everything. And you know, I, I just don't think the NBA or the, excuse me, I don't think the NFL lends itself to have to guys having the personalities that they probably want to display, or that they might not feel comfortable doing it because obviously your contracts aren't guaranteed. The structure of the league is a little bit different, and obviously we know. Um, with the whole Colin Kaepernick stuff, the idea is that, you know, if you are a true individual or if you, you know, not necessarily break rank, but if you do something different, it's not viewed in the same context that is as the NBA or even the NHL to some degree where, you know, you can be different, but obviously you can be accepted amongst the league that you are particularly playing in. Nate, you've experienced a ton over the years. Boston, New York, South Florida, Indiana here, and then going back home. What do you take away from your journey to this point and the things you've been able to experience and both from big city and small town feel? Uh, I mean, it's a dream and it's a joy. Um, one of the things that has most um, surprised me, I think, and you can't think about this all the time because, of course, you know, you and I and everyone else in the Indianapolis media market is working, but I have experienced quite a bit, you know, doing the fellowship with the New York Times and and being in South Florida and being in, you know, Boston, which is, you know, the most rabid sports town. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. That I've, that, I've, uh, that I've ever, like, been around and, and had to, like, work under. Um, but a lot of people, particularly young um, students and people who want a career in this, reached out to me after I, you know, let it be known that, you know, I'm leaving. Just, like, what's it been like and, and just sort of viewing the experience from a different context or from a different circumstance where you know 10 years ago i was you know a lot of the people that have reached out to me like hey how'd you do this or why is sports journalism so fun why is it great to be a reporter who is paid and i want to make this very clear who's paid to cover a sporting events like it's just you know back then it seems like a dream and even now it seems like you know i've been very blessed to have these opportunities to you know Really get to know people. I mean, I never thought I would be interviewing Larry Bird about <laughs> anything, <laughs> whether it's Paul George, his own career, his own battles with, you know, trying to, you know, manage a roster that clearly wasn't working at the time. Um, so it's, it's a, it, it's a fascinating journey. Um, I, I would just, you know, tell people that I've been, I mean, much like I put on Twitter, like you're just thankful that people like care to read your stuff or to watch your videos or to, you know, listen to you on a, on a format like this and podcast. And the idea that people care so much about their teams that they want to get to know the beat writers, like that was not something that was known or that was like occurring. I don't think 15 years ago when the internet was, you know, not as developed or nuanced as it is now, but people like really wanted to know, like, why, like you can't leave or like, we really like your coverage. And that's always good to hear. Um, and, and it's great that people thought that I treated the team fairly and, you know, wasn't obviously promoting them, but obviously wasn't bashing them at the same time. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, sense to know that so many people enjoy your work and you hear about it after you've made the decision to leave, but also knowing that, like, this is why sports is such an amazing arena. It and connects us all, man. Yeah, it is. 
That's the crazy thing. And I, I would agree mostly with that last point about uh, the writer's standpoint. I think more from a national scale. Locally, I think maybe that's lost what it used to have. I think of a Bob Ryan or someone you know, in Boston, and those guys would wake up, I wonder what Bob Ryan has to say. Whereas nowadays, people might follow right. you and, tw- and click every one of your links. Um, but it's... It's a totally different dynamic, and back then they even had way more access where they were physically traveling with, with the team, the team right, or right. both of them were, were flying commercial. Yep, yeah. And so it's it, it's fascinating how much the, the climate has changed or how much access we get from a you know technological standpoint versus like a team standpoint now. But it is it is a ton of just awesome opportunities. And look, I will. I will. I tell people this all the time. I I know as 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 Pacer fans and readers will will listen to this. My favorite memory <laughs> covering this team the last few years was when the Pacers played the Golden State Warriors in December in Oracle Arena. It was my it was my first time ever being there, and, and I was fortunate again with Andy Star to go. And it's a ten thirty start for anyone, <laughs> for anyone here in Indy, and. Clay Thompson in the most like mind-boggling way. He scored sixty points, and I, I I will never forget that. I'll never forget the idea that like I watched a human being score sixty points in twenty-nine minutes and three quarters, and he only dribbled the ball eleven times. And you know, I was I had the I had the ability to watch that up close and then to write about it and to try to get the viewpoints from both sides of just the pure elation and like this is amazing from the Warriors and just like the pure solemn quietness in the in the Pacers locker room that I'll never forget. And just like looking at assistant coaches Dan Berg and Pope Jones and like <laughs> it was just like shaking their heads at me. Just like, we got nothing. nothing. You can say. He just nothing you can say. Like he just he torched you guys. Like it, it happens. But uh but like that that's one of my favorite memories is just as far as covering games, just being in that atmosphere, being in that arena, just the amount of just noise that comes out of that place. And it's not a playoff game, it's not the NBA Finals Hill, it's not even after the All Star break. It's in December, and they care that much. And when a moment like that happens, you know it's going viral all across the world. And who knows what people will be saying or thinking about that game. But to know that I was there was, was pretty was pretty memorable. Yeah, that's one of those memorable things. And then you got people reading your story about how you felt about that night or how you documented the night. It was memorable to mm-hmm. me. I You mentioned it. I quickly went to a tab where I still have the box score. I'm not sure I'll ever delete it. 60 points, oh, no. uh, 21 of 33 shooting, 8 of 14 from 3 for Clay Thompson, and they won 142 to 106. I, That's the thing I love, Nate, about the NBA is I feel like most nights you see something different. You see something new and unexpected. Yeah, exactly. And, she, and just like you, like I physically have that the printed box score in, in like one of these folders that I'm packing up <laughs> in my house. But I... I, I remember, like, you don't save every box score from, a, you know, the 82-game season, but there are some box scores you're just like, i, I got to hold on to this. Like, because you look at it and you're just like, I, it doesn't compute. <laughs> like, he scored at a higher at a higher and a faster rate than Kobe Bryant's 81-point game. Like, think about that. Like, Kobe had to, I think, score, like, 27 or so to get to 81 in the fourth quarter. And, like, Clay didn't even play in the fourth quarter because, like, the Pacers were, you know, they, they had already surrendered the game but he he was he had scored at a faster rate than any human on this here earth in a shot clock era which i think was like from the start of 1955 so 
I mean, it was just, it's just one of those things like, yeah, you would never expect that and you'll never forget it now because it actually occurred. And then because of new age analytics, right? You're talking about how many dribbles he took throughout the game to get 60 points. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And they were all looking for him too. And again, this is, this is, this is about dynamics and, and, you know, the chemistry. It's like Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green were like, you know what? Every, like, you know, people in the building were screaming like, Every possession that guy even touched the ball because he's NBA. You know, he 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 is literally on fire. You know, <laughs> from NBA Jam, like that is happening in front of everyone's eyes. And you know, I I, the, I I still remember Nate McMillan being like, we could not give enough help because they had you know Steph Curry and <laughs> Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. Like you can't double team him. That's the that's the dilemma. It's like you, you double team him and then you know someone else goes off. I, I just I just remember like thinking like yeah like there's really nothing they could have done that night. <laughs> when the guy's that hot like that, Nate. Honestly, the only thing I could think of is someone just throw him to the ground, be right. willing to take a technical foul or flagrant run, and hope that disrupts his rhythm. Because when a guy right. is firing like that, even a hand in the face did not disrupt his rhythm. No, it, they. I mean, I remember they put Paul on him a couple times, and it's just like no, it just it just it doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's all the, there's all those moments. And, and, you know, obviously there's fun times when you're in the locker room with guys after the game. Uh, I particularly remember too, just how, how joyous everyone was when Glenn Robinson hit his game winning shot in Atlanta against the Hawks last year. Yeah. With his dad like, right there. Yeah. With his dad, yeah, with his dad there. And, you know, it, it's, you, you sort of remember moments that I, I remember CJ Mouse, who made the assist, just being very happy. Um, when, you know, everyone in the building knows that, like, CJ would love nothing more than to shoot game-winning shots or have, or have the opportunity, but he was the veteran who was giving the younger guy an opportunity, and, and everyone, you know, obviously it, it was successful for everyone. You just, you just sort of remember those things and be like, yeah, like, I just remember, like, that was a fun game, and that was a fun environment, and, you know, you can see growth in those sort of moments um, when it's a game in March, you know, with a team who's, you know, trying to struggle to keep its playoff spot. You brought up Oracle Arena, obviously the home of the Golden State Warriors, for the next several years before they move into this brand new palace. What were some of your favorite venues from across the states during your travels in the league? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I, I love Madison Square Garden. Um, the Knicks are terrible. Is let's, it the, is it the environment or is it the building? It's the building because you know how historic it is, but the environment can change. I mean, New Yorkers, and, and, you know, I covered the Knicks for a little bit, too, when I was at the Times. Like, New Yorkers know when good basketball is being played or when a moment is occurring. So they always are on my list. Um, I I feel like, and this is outside of Baker's Life Fieldhouse, which, again, I've never heard Baker's Life more loud than when they were, you know, bullying the the rappers in Game 4, which makes me... Wish I was here for when they were playing LeBron and the Heat back in 2013-14. Like I just can't. I can only imagine like how loud that that place got. But around the league, I love the Air Canada Center. Um, one because they have Tim Hortons, and it's the best coffee on these planet Earth. Um, and, and we're getting one here apparently. We we are, and I think it's like Zionsville. And again, like the the, the time that they announced this is when I'm leaving the town. Um, <laughs> I'll enjoy it for you. I've never had it, but I know you and Mark Boyle and others rave about it. It's amazing, and that's and that's the. I mean, you, you go to a, you go to a Raptors game. If there's anyone listening? If you go, if you have a chance, go to a Toronto Raptors game, even if the team is bad, and just order like 
Even if it's in like the middle of the winter, like just order an ice cappuccino from or ice frappuccino, what however like I think I call it ice cap, but like it's great. It's it's and they have all the flavors that anyone in their heart could desire. It's amazing. The other thing is beyond that, Oracle obviously is great. Um, I was kind of underwhelmed by Staples Center. I don't know if that's because the Lakers are just bad or like no one like people get excited about the Clippers, but not in the sense that you would think. Um, trying to think, I I, I think the Port- United Center Portland cool. seems cool. Portland, yeah, Portland's fun. They're a fun crowd. They were, they were, they were pretty rowdy. OKC is um, another one that stands out. I haven't been to either one of those, but from television, yeah, it's a big highlight. When when OKC, the first my first year of covering the team, so this is not last year, but the year before, it was it was it was lit. It was like a Friday night ESPN game, Thunder versus Pacers. Yeah, obviously, Kevin Durant versus Paul George and Russell Westbrook. It was really that crowd was really good. So I'm glad you missed that. I'm trying to go through all. All the teams, um, you know, I think home court advantage is sort of sliding a, a little bit based on teams. Like, you don't really see it until it's a playoff, so it's kind of hard to get a gauge on it. Uh, I think Cleveland has a good crowd. I'm not sure they're, like, super rabid, like, you know, Oklahoma City or Oracle and, and Golden State. Or even, like, if, again, if the Knicks were good, oh, my God, like, Madison Square Garden would, would you know, would shake. Um, <laughs> they were actually good. I will say Utah has a very good crowd too, um, and they think you know obviously it's the only professional sports team in town. So they they really uh, when the Jazz are good like they were last year, they they really care about that team and they're very into the game. So I don't know; those are just a couple coming out of my my head. Uh, I used to love going to Sleep Train Arena or whatever it was called when the Sacramento Kings were in their older arena because you were literally on top of the court. It was I think it was the, the Based on league rules, they were the closest or the smallest proximity arena that they had to where there really wasn't much space between the fans and the players. So I loved going to Sacramento. Now that I got this new arena, um, and it's it's gorgeous. Golden One Arena. Golden One Center, I think it is. Right. That's a a couple. Now we need to get into the Paul George story. This is probably why people are listening and we're 25 minutes in. But Paul George (laughs) and him moving on and all of that... Were you surprised to to see him make this decision? And will it benefit the Pacers in the long run with him giving them a heads up? Yes, it'll give them it'll give them it'll give them some benefit in the long run. It depends on whether Victor Oladipo becomes anywhere close to an All Star or if he gets I don't know marginally better. And I tend to agree with Kevin Pritchard's thought that like. Victor Oladipo is like an above-average shooting guard, which, again, was like the worst position the Pacers had last year. So you at least upgraded with that. I've reported, had several points, that like no team was willing to give the Pacers a future first-round pick, which obviously devalued the trade because Paul George let it be known that like he wants to be a Laker. So <laughs> with that said, I thought the most important night of the last year that I covered the Pacers was at Victory Field with this charity event that Paul mm-hmm. does with Robert Mathis. And it's June 15th, so the draft is seven days away. Um, everyone knows Paul's situation. He's going into the last year of his contract. And Paul could have just, like, pushed it off or not answered questions. But this is why I love Paul George. He answers <laughs> questions in the moment, and he does. I think, he, I think he's a smart man. I want to make that very clear. He's smart because, obviously, 
he's really good at basketball, and people should not take that for granted, even if you're a you know, disgruntled Pacer fan now because obviously he sort of, the exit was not handled well. Um, the dude's really good. <laughs> like, he's smart. And I enjoy talking to him no matter what the situation was because even when the Pacers were getting blown out, he would tell me straight up, like, we suck. Like, we're lifeless. Or why is Nate McMillan doing this? So you get to that charity event and you're like, this is the last time we're going to talk to Paul before the draft. And he might get traded on draft night. Like this, everyone's aware of it. It's a possibility. Yeah, every, yeah. And he answered every question. Like, like, like he's not naive. He, he's really smart. And I just, I just remember thinking, like, wow, this dude is saying all the things that, in some ways, is trying to convince the fan base that no, I am loyal to the Pacers. This is the team that drafted me. This is the team that believed in me. I want to win a championship. I want to be Reggie Miller. Which again. He said to me on the record before last season, like, mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. he's saying all the things, but in the back of your head, you're just like, Paul, like, if you don't think with Larry Bird now being gone, which again, he was closer to Larry than he was to Kevin for obvious reasons, you know, Larry Bird drafted him. But if Larry Bird's gone and the team is underwhelming and you've never beaten LeBron in a playoff series and you're 0 for 4 and you're in the prime of your career and you don't want to waste that, which again, he said to me on the record, like, I hope Larry doesn't waste my prime years. Like, it's just, I just remember like thinking, wow, he said all the right things, but this offseason, that, that's when I knew this offseason was going to get a little crazy. Now, it wasn't Larry Bird stepping down. He was like, well, okay, it's understandable. He's 60. Uh, he doesn't have the stomach for a rebuild. And perhaps he knew of Paul's sort of desires to be in the Western Conference or to be in a Lakers uniform. And the fact that Magic Johnson is now controlling that team, mm-hmm. which makes it a little more easier alongside Kobe Bryant probably going into some role with the franchise here in the near future. And that's the guy he idolized when he was younger. All that said, I just couldn't believe he said all those things. That's <laughs> just celebrity softball bit because you knew they were going to be brought up within however much time it was. And obviously it was like, two and a half weeks or so. Um, so I was I was most surprised by that. And I just remember him acknowledging after they lost in game four against the, 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 the Cavaliers that he, one, wasn't a good leader, which was the first time he had really admitted that all season. Like, hey, I'm trying to be the leader, but I'm not good. And then every year isn't a golden year. And that sort of will be, you know, not only will his last shot, which is like the reverse of that Gatorade commercial. <laughs> Hold on, Nate. On on that point, hold on. On that point, if I'm his representative, there's no chance I'm allowing him to do that specific commercial. You just can't put him in that situation. And and again, it's not like you can go to the memory bank and say, "Oh yeah, when he played blank, he hit the gangway." He had never done it. He never. He had never hit a true buzzer beater. You can't do that. (laughs) You just can't like. And again, and they ran the commercial. You know, Gatorade's like, "Hey, we gotta get, we gotta get our money's worth for this." They ran the commercial the entire like postseason, like, like all the way through the finals. It's like, oh boy, here's here's Paul George's commercial again. And my and my wife, Holly, was just sitting there like, I can't believe they keep running this ad when they know he's never done this. <laughs> so yep. once they commit to a guy family, like last year was right. Dwayne Wade, once they commit to a guy for the postseason Gatorade featured commercial, they run it to death. Yeah, even my wife, who was a casual NBA fan, is just like, this is not a good look, guys, for anyone. So it's it's hard. 
I am I am somewhat partial to Paul because you try to get in the mind of these guys who are competing at a high level, and you understand like if he doesn't have faith in the Pacers, well, at least at least he was good enough to tell them in some bad way with his agent sort of telling Kevin, we're not going to resign. What I don't understand and what I don't agree with is then been telling the entire world, like, hey, I want to be on the Laker. <laughs> like that, you could have did that in private. You could have you could have forced a trade there or tried to attempt to, it, to force a trade there in a little more acceptable manner than letting the world know so that every other 28 teams would be less willing to, to try to trade for you with your last year of your contract when everyone knew you weren't going to resign because, again, I think the overall presumption is that Paul George is going to be in a Laker uniform in 2019. We all, we all mm-hmm. expect that. Yeah, and I, I think Paul and his representative Aaron Mintz should be applauded for informing Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers, but you're right, it's leaking the store, get it out there, and it didn't come, I don't think, from other teams via Woj, because all that info and pushing the Lakers' agenda within there... It had to, it had to come from one source. Oh, absolutely, we know that. <laughs> and you just got into a ton of stuff there. First, I want to go back to softball. You're exactly right. That is what Paul does. He's willing to talk with us. I only think he's turned down or declined to talk, and it was typically just because he's done interview after interview after, say, several days in a row. But he doesn't normally do that. My only advice to him would have been have somebody step in and be the bad guy and say, hey, guys, I'm only talking softball tonight. Just ask me about that and uh, be happy to talk with you. We don't like that, but that's what I would have done if I was him. Yeah, and and – Think about this in the context of who are the true NBA stars? Like, who are the true star players in this league? And there's only about 10 to 15 when you think about guys who are perennial all stars who've won championships who are endorsing commercials. Um, Paul's one of those guys, and he's one of the most well spoken, willing to talk, willing to answer every question, willing to like yeah. talk to Lee Jenkins after the fact and talk to Adrian Rosenrashley after the fact and like not be like not be coy, not be contrived not be somewhat planned or you know calculated to a degree like paul has never been that <laughs> like so you ask paul about hey I, and I still remember this like at that softball i've been thinking like the only thing that the pacers truly have as a as a, as a chip in all this is the fact that he could still make a ton of money if he makes the all-nba team if he was still in a pacer uniform and he was just like, yeah, who doesn't want more money? And I'm just like, what, what NBA All-Star is going to say that about All-NBA? Like, you look at Gordon Hayward's quote, and good, Gordon Hayward's really good at basketball. Gordon Hayward did not want to answer any questions about All-NBA team, where Paul's just like, yeah, I would love to make an All-NBA team because I know how much money is involved if you make an All-NBA team. Um you know, he's very blunt about, like, I didn't think the Pacers were good. I didn't think that we were going to go anywhere. And and so um, as much as people like to rip Kevin Durant or LeBron James or, or other people of his ilk, Paul is one of the very few All-Stars who's willing to answer questions the moment they are asked him um, and not be sort of – he doesn't try to control the narrative or the message in the same way that, like, you would probably advise most NBA All-Stars to do. This is what I'm amazed at, though, and I think – Maybe better. I don't know if better off's the word, but can you imagine if he qualifies for All NBA next year and still leaves? I don't think the Pacers it's, would want that possible. scenario. You have a guy that qualifies for the the designated player extension, worth two hundred plus million, and he decides to leave your market. That's a stain. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, and and again, if you talk to 
a lot of people, and again, we all know who these people are, if you talk to them, they make it very clear that um, it was easier for Paul to do this decision now versus a year from now when he was convinced, and I can pretty much say this, you know, without sourcing, but, you know, Paul was convinced that he was never going to get someone of his caliber to come to Indiana. And I know that sucks for Pacer fans, and that sucks, I think, for fans of just the league in general because you want all 30 teams to be on some equal footing, even though we all know the markets and the places where you live are different. Like, this is not New York. This is not, you know, Golden State and, and the Bay. This is not, um, you know, one of the more destination areas like on Miami. So, with that being said, there's a sense <laughs> with Paul that as great as he was, he can't lead a team on his own. And so, give credit to Sam Presti and the Oklahoma City City Thunder for saying, hey, we'll at least experiment this for a year because Paul had never had someone like a Russell Westbrook in Indiana. He had Les Stevenson, he had Roy Hibbert, he had George Hill, all really good players, but none of them are truly great players. And that's the difference in why Paul sort of, you know, eventually made the decision that, you know, it's time for me to leave Indiana one way or another. One thing I found interesting, and I think you were in Chicago as well two years ago with Team USA, both me and you, uh, asking Paul questions, and that was after Larry Bird had made some off-season changes, Monte Ellis perhaps, and Al Jefferson Mm -hmm. and that bunch, and I think it was you that even directly asked him, how do you feel about these off-season changes? And he goes, Paul said, I'm just happy Larry's not wasting my prime years. He's gone out and been aggressive. Now, in turn, you look back, and those moves just didn't make sense whatsoever. But he did say that. Yeah, he did. And he I think he respected Larry and I think some of their their relationship was at an all time high because you know, Paul George, a basketball historian, understands well one, what you know, the love and the, the, the things that Reggie Miller did for the organization. And as a basketball historian, he understands like Ray Bird's one of the 10 best players ever in the league. Like, you can't dispute that. Or, you know, whatever your list is, he's on it. So they truly learned and worked together at a high level, which was why the Pacers were one of the most outstanding, you know, respected teams earlier in Paul's career when they made back to Eastern Conference Finals. And they were a game away from making the finals against a LeBron James-led Miami Heat team. The way their relationship started to fracture or started to have you know, some, you know, skepticism between the two of them was when Larry made the decision coming back from Paul's horrific leg injury that we want him to play the power four position. He, give credit to Larry that he at least knew the league was changing and you're going smaller, you're playing at a faster pace, you want more guys who can shoot from the perimeter versus two traditional men in the low post. The issue is, is that he basically said, and this is back when Candace was, was with, was, you know, here as well covering the team. And you remember this too, Scott, I'm sure, you know, he don't make the rules around here. And <laughs> I talking talking to several people, I'm like, that's when it that's when it turned. Like like Larry like Paul's always gonna love Larry, always gonna respect him, always gonna be reverent to Larry Bird. But it's like, hey man, like this is my time, this is my career. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back from like a horrific injury that like we had not seen before in league history. I'm just not comfortable playing another position right now. Like, I just want to get back to superstar status or at least get back to, like, being good at this sport when, like, my leg snapped in two. And from that day on, Larry 
tried his best to make the team more modern as far as roster construction, as far as players and their styles fitting with a faster pace where you can score more points. But the key to all that was convincing Paul George to do the same, and I don't think Paul was ever fully comfortable doing that, and rightfully so because of his injuries, but also because Larry Bird tried to force it upon him versus them having a full-on discussion, a waiting it, or sort of see-how-it-goes period when all of a sudden you come back from the summer and Larry Bird's like, you're playing the four, and he's telling Frank Vogel this, he's telling Paul George this, he's basically telling the media and everyone that, like, mm-hmm. you're not the star, you're the star of the team, but you're not the guy who's directing the team. But we all know in 2017, like, the players are the ones who have the most power in this league, whether you like it or not. And I think Paul, to some degree, um, never, never understood and never truly appreciated Larry for that particular comment where it's like, hey, you don't make the rules around here. Like, I'm the one who makes all the decisions. Yeah. And Paul George is like, do you look around? Like, LeBron's the coach, GM. Like, he might as well be the owner. I mean, that team in Cleveland has never been good without LeBron James, and they've only been good with LeBron James. I mean, so it, it, was, a, it was a differences of generational stars not lining up together, and that fracture, to their degree, Pretty much led to this because um, with Larry Bird leaving, I think he sort of knew that Paul George was not was not committed to his plan or the franchise long term anymore. Yeah, Paul was never on board with with being the four, and for several reasons. I don't think he wanted the physicality. I think he wanted to yep. get back and go do what's comfortable, which is playing that three and D guy, being one of the yep. top defenders in the league that's something I found interesting the last several years Paul had not talked about aspiring to be a defensive player of the year something he said after his press conference um the first time when he signed an extension and all of that that was Mm -hmm. back you know 2013 2014 whereas you mentioned earlier in the show several times he's mentioned about aspiring I want to be the best pacer of all time I want to top Reggie no disrespect but that's the goal he hadn't really done that in the last couple of years kind of put those things on the back burner maybe he didn't find them realistic and I also I wanted to provide context to that quote you mentioned several times because a lot of people talk about it so what happened was Paul had his camp out at Avon High School and I asked him about you know you're going to be playing the four he goes what no my understanding is I'll play it in spurts like not serious minutes like you know five six eight minutes a game so then a few days later Larry's talking about free agents and and I relayed that message hey you know Paul's has the understanding that he'll play in spurts there not serious minutes and that's where you get the great Larry Bird quote well he don't make the decisions around here (laughs) I mean (laughs) I love that I love Larry. I just, I just love Larry. Larry is, you know, he not changing. Like Larry Bird is not changing. He don't care um, what the general masses think. But he got that one wrong. I, you just, you, you, there's no way around it. Like you got to placate your star player, or at least come to an understanding with him, or at least go halfway. Mm-hmm. Um, management has to do that now in the NBA, which again is another reason why the league is like very interesting and, and fascinating to watch. Um, players want to have some say in all this now versus back when Larry was a player in the 80s and 90s. So it's it's different, but, uh, yeah, that that's one where Larry, yeah, Larry should have maybe bit his tongue or, you know, answered the question a little, with a little more nuance to it versus just being blunt and, um, you know, letting it be known to not only us, but to Paul. They're like, no, you really don't, like, 
like, does anyone really want their boss to, like, make it clear to everyone that, like, they have no say in, like, what their future is? Like, that's kind of not a good sign. Um, if you want to to work with a star player in this league. I'm not saying this would have solved it or prevented Paul from leaving, but I, I think it would have been interesting to see how things might be different if the Pacers aggressively either hired Brian Shaw as the head coach instead of Nate McMillan or kept mm-hmm. him on and, and paid him more to be associate head coach, more than the Lakers, and, and getting him out of his home there in California. And also another one is George Hill. Trading him away, I think, was for the betterment of the team. But for Paul, it did not help him. It did not help team chemistry. Those two are best friends. Yep, those two. Those two are tight. And you know, uh, (laughs) let's just say George Hill was not pleased with Larry Bird towards the end of his tenure, and has made it you know vocally clear to several people in the organization, which in some ways exacerbated the, the, the the situation that they had to trade him. Because he made it clear to them, hey, he didn't do the Paul George, but he made it clear to everyone that yeah. like, I'm not resigning. Um, <laughs> you know, like I just, I just can't stick around here anymore. So that's why they traded him to Utah in hindsight um, because of that. And I agree with the trade. If you look at it just from a basketball standpoint, you got the All Star, you got the younger player, you got the player who's more ready for that position as like a true point guard, if that's what you're hoping for. Um, so I agree with the trade, but you are right when you are right, Scott, about, you know, everyone talking to Paul, who was a part of that, that, that really good team, David West, George Hill, Roy Hibbert, they all sort of knew, like, hey, um, this is not what it was a few years ago, and it's probably not going to get back to that. Um, you know, so just think about that when it comes to your own future and, and you know, is a way they kind of advise them. We've talked about team chemistry, Nate. Last year it was non-existent. I look back at a previous roster, and this summer, all summer long, you have three guys, three former Pacers, hanging out, loving each other's company, their families in San Antonio. And that speaks to it all. George Hill, C.J. Miles, Jan Mihimi, that's one thing that's missing. Yep, yep. And think about that team, too. Like, that team, even though it has struggled because of the whole, like, is this roster fully ready to become modern or become small ball or, or, you know, pace and space, that team still pushed the Toronto Raptors in seven games because they had trust, they had chemistry, and they were defensive-minded players. Yama Hemi, really good on defense. Say what you will about his offensive game. He's, he's really good. Like, he's a, a good defensive center when he's healthy. George Hill is one of the more elite defensive point guards or combo guards, whatever you want to say, yeah. in this league. And that's why when you think about those teams and the fact that, like, Yama Hemi was backing up Roy Hibbert just a few years ago, like, that team was lethal on defense. And I just remember Carmelo Anthony not having space to really shoot because Paul George is there. Here's George Hill coming off pick and rolls. And even if you get by those two guys, you've got Roy Hill or Yama Hitney to, 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 to protect the rim. Um, and, and so all of that is gone along with, like you said, the chemistry, the wanting to be with these people, the, want, the willingness to work with them and to have a common goal in mind. Um, you know, everyone says they want to win a championship, but obviously we know all 30 teams from a chemistry talent standpoint, they don't mesh the same way that you would obviously intend for a championship team to mesh. Couple quick hits. Your impression of working with Lance and, and what he provides to this franchise. We dealt with him forever, and he, just like he always says, I'm hyped to be out there. It's fun being around him. It's so much fun being around him. And look, you know, I, I love Candace Buckner, she's a great friend. She got the, you know, she got Lance, and and so did Mike Wells, and obviously you, you, Mike Merritt, you know, Mike Montese, like all you guys have been around him. So 
when it became clear that Rodney was not going to get back to full health, and you know it was understood that like, hey, it's understood that they waived him. Like it sucks. We all love Rodney too, but you know he he just wasn't healthy. So when they cut him, and I believe I was in Memphis for that game, <laughs> they cut him, and then the entire fan base, like literally, Scott, and I'm sure you got this too on yep. Twitter. The entire fan base was like, bring him home. There were Twitter accounts with the name, bring back Lance, bring back Lance 1, bring back Born Ready. There there were people like, (laughs) born again, like we need to be reborn. And I'm just like, guys, like let's, let's, you know, there are other talented players on on the free agent market, like, let Larry Bird, like, have a minute to, like, think about, and then he's like, no, like he, he signed Lance the same day he cut. Uh, Roddy Stuckey, and I was just like, you cannot be kidding me. But that night, I go to the game. They they lose to Memphis. They were it was like the second end of back to back. They got slaughtered. But the entire mood of the locker room was so much different because you know I'm gonna name some names, but but Josh, the athletic trainer, was very happy. Uh, David Bitter, their PR staff <laughs> director, was like thrilled. I mean, there were people legitimately happy that like Lance Stevenson's coming back even though we don't know like how healthy he was or if he was going to make any kind of impact. And then he comes out and he like starts taunting LeBron James in the very next game. And it's just like, I can't, it was a, it was a hell of a ride. It was a, it was a six game ride <laughs> to end the season. But man, it was a joyous. And it's even fun now to think about, cause I hadn't thought of it when the Pacers signed Corey Joseph, but I think Jason Spells from, from, from channel 13 was just like, wasn't Corey Joseph the one who like threw the basketball like half court, like at like wanting to kill Lance Stevenson because of the whole <laughs> un, you know un, unethical layup at the end of the game against the Toronto Raptors? Where again, that was that so crowd, overblown. It was so overblown, but but I I just want to say that game was amazing. <laughs> it was. You knew that's when you knew. Oh my God, Lance actually has he still has it, and I think everyone was fascinated to know does Lance still have it. Or if he puts on a Pacer uniform, will he become the the the, the, the will he will he receive all the powers almost like in, you know almost like Space Jam like he gets his powers back if he puts on a Pacers uniform. So he was great. He was good in the playoffs too um, when you know the intensity and the, and the level of play raises as well. Um, so no, he was fascinating. I love that like when they unveiled the new jerseys, he said it felt like he was wearing nothing at all. Cause I'm like, that's the most Lance Stevenson quote. I also but, loved how he was the face of that campaign, which says a lot about him and the current state of the franchise. Yep, exactly. And that's what they can, you know, the, from a marketing standpoint, the team can always tie themselves to Lance Stevenson makes you feel good. You don't particularly know why. You just know that like when you watch Lance Stevenson in a face of the uniform, it makes you feel good as a fan, as a journalist, as just someone who is who, who who cares about the team or has some inkling to what it was back in the day when they were really good. Lance Stevenson still evokes a lot of nostalgia for fans. And look, he's still good, and he's losing weight, and he looks to be a lot better shape than he was last year. So I'm, again, I'll be watching from Kansas City. I'll be fascinated to see mm-hmm. how he plays and if the antics will return and things of that nature. But you're right, man. People loved Lance. I just didn't. I just couldn't grasp it because, again, I wasn't here when he, when he was. <laughs> and everywhere else, he's a mediocre player. Right, right. Everywhere else, it just didn't work. Or like Doc Rivers is like, I can't handle this man, <laughs> which also tells you, and I, I need to give some credit to my, my editor, Nat Newell at the Indy Star. Think about this. From a, <laughs> from a psychological, egotistical manner and managing those personalities, 
Frank Vogel somehow got Paul George, Lance Stevenson, you know, Roy Hibbert, aggressive. Is he not aggressive? George Hill, Roy freaking Hibbert. <laughs> like he got all those guys to play their best basketball together. Like if that doesn't tell you that Frank Vogel is a great coach or at least a great, you know, sociological, um, psychological like leader of men, like you, you, you can't question him. So I, I hope Frank does well at some point in Orlando. But Matt always tells me that, like, he got Lance Stevenson and Roy Hibbert and Paul George and George Hill and David West, who, you know, is, is the most mature of those five, but still, you know, can get angry. Like, he, he got all those dudes to, like, be good and, like, be really, really good. And, and like, just it, it's, it's astonishing. But, no, people love Lance. I didn't understand it. And then, like, three games in, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Like, and he's great after the, he's great in post games too. Whether they win or lose, like he's he's really he was never he was not always that way, not at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't know I don't know what changed him, but I mean even when they blew that twenty five point lead at halftime in Game Three against the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think he had some of the most revealing quotes of just like, yeah, like they made every right play. Like I just like, and we need guys that fight and bring it every night. Right, right, and, and so he, you know. I, I get it now. I, I'm sorry that I was just like <laughs> kind of standoffish to Pacer Twitter when it occurred to them that they were going to get what they wanted. Um, but but yeah, I get it now. And, and God bless Lance Stevenson because he will be probably him along with Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. Like those are the three most fascinating guys on the team. And, and just how do they coexist or work together? I think I hear the moving trucks calling, so I'll wrap up. What's next for you? What's in your immediate future? Do you plan to stay in journalism? What do you What do you have on the yeah. radar? Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and thank you for asking. No, um, that's the plan. I know some people have reached out to me um, on various sort of devices or, or methods, but no, the plan is to still do journalism. Um, you know, I'm not sure what my immediate future is, but when it, when it occurs or when it happens, I'll, I'll be sure to let people know. And again, I can't thank people enough for their nice words. It's always great when people say you do a good job or they appreciate the, the work you mm-hmm. do to um, provide them information about, you know, the basketball team they love and, and care most about. So I'll be doing something in journalism, I'm, I'm sure, but I'm just not particularly uh, certain what that's going to be yet. Enjoy just being dad, at least for a few months. Hey, that, that's, 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 uh, that's one of the best parts. Is, uh, I get to spend a lot of time with my son. He is getting, uh, you know, his birthday was this past Monday. So he's, uh, he's enjoying, you know, mom and dad being home right now and, um, I'm no, I, I, I just know that everyone's going to love um, seeing him more in Kansas City. But, yeah, just being a dad is just in and of it. And, you know, and that's the thing, too. You get to talk to players within the organization or guys on the team and just fatherhood or just whoever. Like, it's, it's a very special um, responsibility to have. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to cherish it now that I'm not, you know, <laughs> traveling for 82 games. Uh, with the NBA team. Nate, I really appreciate the time. It's great getting to know you here, and best of luck back home. Hey, thank you, Scott, and thank you, everyone, for listening and reading. Um, I, I will be around. I'll, I'll make my comments at some point when I see them, but, uh, but yeah, thank you so much. If you have not done so already, subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on Apple Podcasts, through iTunes, through Stitcher, through Google Play, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, we are on there. And if you have a minute, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate us, leave a review. That would really help sustain and bring awareness to this podcast.
That does it for this episode. I'll talk to you again soon. 